Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. We're glad you chose to listen today. We believe that God is waiting to speak to you. If you have any questions about today's message, please contact us. We're here to help. Now sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. Good morning. If you would take your Bible and uh, turn to Mark chapter 9, and uh, we will be there in in just a a few moments and uh, read through uh, verse 37. I'll be looking at some other verses during the message. What we're talking about today is uh, how to be the greatest. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, have um, confusion maybe when it comes to uh, who is great and uh, what's the uh, pathway to greatness um, in life. Uh, And I think Jesus will address that fully. To kind of illustrate that a little bit, uh, look to to the screen just for a moment. I'm going to bring up some photographs, uh, some people that may... Um, help illustrate what I'm talking about. Wayne Gretzky, a lot of people refer to him as the great uh, when he was still uh, playing hockey, and that's what a lot of uh, commentators kind of tagged him uh, with that as a title. Uh, Next picture, uh, a lot of people still feel like that uh, Michael Jordan is the uh, uh, true greatest of all time when it comes to basketball. Um, I still kind of uh, lean in that direction. If for no other reason, he went to UNC Chapel Hill. So I made some of you happy that I said that, and some of you angry that I said that, uh, probably by making that comment. Uh, next, next photograph. Uh, uh, Serena Williams uh, won a ton of uh, championships in tennis, and a lot of people uh, view her as being maybe one of the greatest athletes of all time. Matter of fact, we'll get to another picture, not the very next one, but the one after that. There's been some controversy that's popped up since the Super Bowl uh, as to whether or not uh, she is like the greatest or somebody else. Before we get to that, uh, when you think about baseball, a lot of people just think of Babe Ruth because that kind of goes hand in hand in a lot of people's minds as being the greatest in baseball. And then we come to this picture here. Uh, the next picture is, of course, of, of Tom Brady uh, after they won the Super Bowl uh, this year. Uh, I, at one point in time in my ministry a few years ago, I would not have put his picture up there at all because I did not like him very much because he played for a team that beat the Panthers a whole lot. And, uh, and, but, but I've noticed something about him. His attitude has changed. Maybe he's mailed out some, but his attitude has changed since he left his previous team and he's playing for the team he's with now. Because when they won the chance to go to the Super Bowl this year, you know what I saw him do? While other people wanted to talk to him, he left them, walked to the sideline and asked the security guard, told the security guard, let my son come to me to where he could hug his son. You know, so to, to me, that showed he had a little bit of a focus uh, change maybe in, in his life. But he's called the GOAT. A, a lot of sports commentators just refer to him as the GOAT, as the greatest of all time. And then there's this guy that kind of self-proclaimed himself. I am the greatest. So we know what he thought about him, you know. Now, I played all that just to set the, the, the background, 
Because if, if you know anything about Jesus and the disciples of Christ, there was a time more than once that pride entered into the disciples, but there's a specific time when the disciples were walking along the way with Jesus and they got in an argument with each other about who is the greatest. So let's look at Mark 9 in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum and when he, talking about Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing along the way? Now, by the way, one of the other Gospels let us know that Jesus knew what they were saying. He's God in the flesh, so he already knew. But he wanted them to have to kind of be confronted with what they had been doing themselves. But they kept silent. From the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he, he thinks, guys, you've been arguing about the wrong thing. Let's have a teaching lesson here, a, a, a teaching opportunity. And, and he said to them... <clears throat> If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So based on the situation and the words of Jesus, let's consider the question, how to be the greatest. Because I think we can learn some important lessons by what happens in this story about what it really means to be great. Here's lesson number one. <clears throat> Arguing about who is the greatest is really prideful, guys. It is prideful and ultimately it can be embarrassing for you. Now, now, once again, look at verse 33 and verse 34. They came to Capernaum. Jesus is sitting in the house. And he asked them, even though we already knew, he asked them, what were you discussing? What were you arguing about along the way? And they kept silent. <laughs> they didn't want to have to answer the question. Maybe a little bit embarrassed about what they had been doing. For all the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So focusing upon your own greatest is, is prideful and it's self-serving to do that. They had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. They had been discussing this as they walked along the way with, with Jesus. And their topic was that question, who is the greatest? Now, guys, let me point out to you how silly that was for them. <laughs> and how prideful and how self-serving it was. They're debating among themselves which one's the greatest. Now, someone might argue and say, well, maybe they were pointing to one of the other disciples and say, well, that disciple's the greatest. It, it's still silly for them to have done it, <laughs> you know? Because if one of them were to be saying, well, you, you know, I think that one's the greatest, it's like he's putting himself in a superior position to tell everybody else who's the greatest. So they've been arguing about that along the way. While, get this, <laughs> while the one that is the greatest of all time was walking in front of them leading them, walking with them. How, how foolish was it for them to be arguing about who's the greatest when the one that's the greatest of all time, the one that's the real goat, <laughs> is right there in front of them. And guys, at this time, they had already had some failures themselves. We'll talk about it a minute ago. They had seen Jesus do some things that they could not do. So how ridiculous would it have been to argue about who's the, who's the greatest? 
kind of prideful and self-serving for them to have to have done that. Let's think about some facts surrounding your own greatness and how that might lead to an embarrassing situation for you. Because it did for these disciples. Here's, here's some, some facts. He asked them, what were you discussing? But they kept silent. They, they were afraid to answer. The word that, that's used there really means it's like they were mute intentionally. They knew what they'd been doing. I, I, we don't want to tell Jesus this, and he already knew anyway, but from their perspective, we don't want to say. Because it was an embarrassing situation for them to have been pridefully arguing about who was the greatest. Now, now some reasons for them arguing like that might have been found in the fact that they could have been motivated by jealousy. That might be one of the reasons they were arguing about who is the greatest. And there's some background that takes place leading up to the text that we're looking at today to where Jesus had gone up on what we refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration now, and he took three of his disciples with him. So three of them get to go with Jesus, and the rest of them are left down at the foot of the mountain. I would submit to you that might make them a little bit jealous because we in our human flesh, in our nature sometimes, don't we get jealous when we feel left out? <laughs> and, and someone else is included. So maybe jealousy motivated them to have this debate and this argument. Or maybe the argument might have been motivated by their pride. Kind of the reverse of what I said just a moment ago. The three that got to go up on the mountain with Jesus... They might have been a little bit prideful when they got back down the mountain because they had been up on the mountain with Jesus and the rest of you weren't. Maybe they come down and rub that in a little bit. We don't know. They were up on the top of the mountain. And, hey, hey, guess what, guys? Guess what we got to see when we were up on the mountain with Jesus? We got to see Moses and we got to see Elijah. And by the way, we heard God speak out of heaven. Now, they wouldn't have said God was correcting us when he spoke. Human nature likes to leave that part out. But they could have been having a debate because these three that were up on the mountain with Jesus are now a little bit prideful when they get back down the mountain. That could have led to that debate and discussion. But their silence could have been because of some spiritual failure in their lives. And the reason I say that, before we get to the story that we are reading today in Mark 9, when Jesus and those three disciples come down the mountain, there's a commotion taking place. And here's the reason for the commotion. A man had brought his son who was possessed of a spirit, a demon, and asked the disciples of Jesus to heal him. And they couldn't. And when they couldn't, the religious crowd standing around was kind of making fun of the disciples. And Jesus tells them this. This kind only comes about through what? Prayer? And some translations say prayer and fasting. So maybe there's a spiritual deficit in their life. Maybe they had not been praying as they should and trusting God as they should. Because guys, not just in this story, but all through the Bible, it appears to me that if you've got a really, really lack of prayer in your life, guess what you have? You also have a lack of spiritual power in your life if you've got a lack of prayer going on in your life. 
So maybe they'd had a little bit of a spiritual failure. But not just because of that. If we read in the verses immediate to where we started reading a moment ago in verse 33, look at Mark 9, verse 30 through 32, we find this. And when they went from there and passed through Galilee, and he saying to them, and here's the message he's giving them. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. So in other words, Jesus has a really, really important message he's trying to get in their mind, that he's trying to teach them. But it says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. <laughs> so read into that just a little bit. It might be they were so distracted about what they had been arguing about along the way. They've been arguing about who's greatest. And maybe all of that debate was still in their mind a little bit. And here Jesus is trying to teach them a message that they really need to hear, that he was going to be taken and, and he was going to be killed and he was going to take his life back up. Because guys, that, that's the gospel, amen? That, that's central to the, to the gospel. And Jesus is trying to teach them that and trying to prepare them. And they didn't understand it. But they didn't ask. Why didn't they ask? They didn't want to look like they didn't understand. Which is prideful. Which still shows a wrong attitude, maybe a spiritual failure that they had going on in, in their life. So, so guys, we need to recognize that when, when we start being <laughs> arguing about or being self-sufficient and, and looking at ourselves and thinking, we're the greatest. That's an activity that's centered in pride. And when reality sets in, when you really look at the facts and you understand, I'm not the greatest and I've been arguing about being the greatest, it's kind of an embarrassing situation. That's where the disciples were. So how then can we be great from the perspective of Jesus? If it's not about self-serving, it's not about us being prideful, if it's not about us trying to raise ourselves up above others, how then, from the perspective of Jesus, can we be great? Second main thing I want you to see this morning is, is this. Real greatness, real greatness follows the pathway of Jesus. Now, here's what I mean by that. I think we all agreed a minute ago, if, 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 if you don't agree with this, don't stand up because I don't want to tell you to sit down and shut up, okay? Jesus is the greatest of all time. Amen? If he is the greatest of all time, then who should we follow? What pathway should we take? Which is to follow him. And we're going to talk about some steps in following him, but first of all, look at what verse 35 through 37 tells us. He sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he kind of illustrates that to him. He, he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him, that child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not just him, not just me, the, the point being made there, but him, the Father, God the Father who sent me. 
So if Jesus is, since he is the greatest of all time, the pathway to real greatness involves following him. So let's talk about some steps, what that looks like. Step number one on the pathway to greatness is this. And guys, I about skipped this. If I didn't get it, and I just felt the Holy Spirit nudge me in this direction, is that we need to take time to patiently teach others. So on each one of these five steps we're going to look at, there's going to be a buzzword. The buzzword here is patience. The Bible said he sat down and he called the 12. The, the word that's used for sat down means he tarried with them. He was hovering with them. <laughs> Instead of him being upset because they're arguing over here, being selfish about who's the greatest, that kind of nonsense. Instead of Jesus writing them off, Jesus takes time to sit down and teach them what's right. And, it's, and then it says, and he said to them, and the word that's translated as said in the Greek means a systematic discourse. Jesus was systematically going to teach them the error of them arguing with each other. And he's going to do that by saying, guys, you've got it all on base. If you really want to be first, you have to be last, and you have to be a servant. And he's going to take a child and use it as an illustration. But what we need to gather from that is this. I, I've done it before. And I think if you'll be honest, you've probably done it before. Have you ever written somebody off? They, they, they were doing something that you know, really, really disappointed you, and you just kind of gave up on them. Jesus didn't do that with his disciples. Even though they were over here arguing about who, who's the greatest a foolish argument like that, Jesus, instead of telling them, right, I'm off being upset with them, he takes time to, to sit down with them and teach them. Guys, that's what we have to do with others. We're going to be like Jesus instead of writing people off when they disappoint us, when they let us down. We, we need to sit down with them, talk, help them see the error of their way. We need to be willing for people to sit down with us, help us see the error of our way. Step number two is this, on, on the pathway to greatness, at least from the perspective of Jesus. Step number two to greatness is to be first, you must be last. That's exactly what Jesus said. Our buzzword there is humility. He, he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all. He's telling them if that's your goal, if that's your, your choice, if you are preferring to be in front of, superior to, in foremost of order, if that's what you prefer in your life, if you really want to be first, then here's the way you have to approach it. You have to be last of all. Literally means in the original language, to hold as your possession the mindset that you're the furthest away, that you're at the end of the line, that you're final, that you're last, that you're lowest of all. Jesus says the pathway to greatness is viewing yourself as last. And instead of putting yourself before others, you're putting others before yourself. Instead of acting like others are supposed to be serving you, we'll talk about service next. But instead of having the mindset that, 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 hey, everyone's supposed to be serving me, you're supposed to have the mentality of, I'm last and I'm going to put somebody else first. Which brings us to service. Step number three on the pathway to greatness 
is you must be a servant of all. In the buzz were their service. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. We'll jump over that little word and in the English and I'll think about the impact of it, but in the Greek that the New Testament was written in, it means a cumulative effect or a cumulative effect. So in other words, Jesus is saying you need to have the attitude of being last, but that's not quite enough. You need to have the attitude of being last and putting others first, but you also have to serve all. I mean, think about the impact of that, the, the wisdom of that. Me just having the attitude that I'm putting myself last doesn't help anybody unless I serve somebody. Amen? I mean, I can depress myself on my own mind, get off to the side, be a hermit, and say, I'm going to be last, let everybody else be first. But if I'm not taking steps to help other people step up, if I'm not taking steps to serve other people, then I'm not really helping just by me having the mentality that I'm last and other people are first, unless I also take the step of being a servant. So he, he says to be last, but also to be servant of all. Really, guys, the, the attitude of being last does this. <laughs> you and I have the attitude of being last and others first, prepares our mind and our heart to serve others. Because if you don't have that mindset, if you've got the opposite mindset that other people are not as important as you are, you're not going to be serving too many people. But if you'll be viewing yourself as last and other people first, that helps you develop a mindset of serving somebody, no matter who they are and what they've done. No matter what they're, they're going through. No matter their status in life is lower than your status in life. If you've got the attitude of putting others first and yourself last, that opens up the door for you to have the mentality of serving that person. Which, by the way, is the example of Jesus. Amen? Here's why I say that. <laughs> Our Savior, who we're supposed to follow came to serve others. Look at Mark 10, verse 43 through 45. But it shall not be so among you. We'll get the first part of that before I finish the message. He said, but whoever, he's talking to his disciples again, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Christ himself, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, even the way Jesus chose to come into this world, being born in a manger instead of being born on a throne, shows his humility in coming into the world to serve others. He, he, he came with an humble birth. He lived an humble lifestyle. He went around serving others and, and ministering to others. And even though he was God in the flesh, even though he's the son of man, God in the flesh, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve others and to give his life a ransom for others. Now, that's telling us basically this. Jesus ultimately served all mankind by dying on the cross for our sins. 
Do you believe that? That he served all mankind by dying on the cross for our sins. And we can probably agree with that statement, but when we start to break it down, some people have spiritual heartburn. If you agree that Jesus came into the world to serve everyone by going to the cross to die for their sins, that means that Jesus, by doing so, was also a servant to the thief. He was a servant to the rapist. He was a servant to the murderer. He was a servant to the addict. He was a servant to the homosexual. He was a servant to anyone with any sin in this world because he came to go to the cross to die for them. And by dying for them, Jesus is being the ultimate servant for them. And guys, the the, the point I'm trying to make is simply this. If that's what Jesus would do, who are we to act like? Well, I can't really serve that person because of the life they're living. I, I can't get my hands dirty by coming on, on Friday night and, and working with people and celebrate recovery because of the kind of, the kind of stuff they're doing in their life, because of the addictions that they have and, and everything. I, I can't really be in, in, in involved in that, or I can't be involved with this person trying to help them or serve them but, but because I, I'd have to stoop so low and get my hands dirty to try and minister to them. Well, hey, Jesus died on the cross for them. He was a servant to all by doing that. So, guys, that, that, that lets us know that we ought to be servants. If we want to be great, we have to be a, a servant. Step number four on the pathway to greatness is learning this lesson. It isn't about you. It isn't about you. Jesus gives a heart check or an attitude adjustment illustration to these disciples. And our buzz phrase there is honor Christ, honor Christ. Look at verse 36 and 37. He took a child. He didn't take one of them. He took a child. He didn't go find some other significant person. He, he took a child. And, and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name. <laughs> not in the disciples' names. Not in somebody else's name. Whoever receives a child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Look at the parallel passage found in Matthew 18, verse 1 through 6. And at the time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened about his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, I'm not going to keep reading that passage, but Jesus goes on to talk some about hell. So maybe there's a side message there. Instead of us arguing and worrying about who's the greatest, we need to get busy understanding people are dying and going to hell without Christ. 
It's not about us being the greatest. The spiritual heart check that Jesus gives his disciples here is this. It's not about them being the greatest. It's about him being the greatest in the kingdom of God. It's not about their name. It's about his name. And I've told you this before. Whenever Jesus refers to his name, the, the phrase that it's used in the Bible and the way the, the Jews would view that is this. It's talking about all Jesus is. It's talking about his character and his authority. So, so when Jesus says that someone receives this child in my name, it's receiving them in the character of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus. The, the point being made, among other things that Jesus makes here with this child, that the point is receiving him, receiving Jesus. And by receiving Jesus, you're receiving the Father. The point is not being prideful like you can work your way to heaven, like you're the greatest, like you deserve to get into heaven. That's the point that he makes with this child. When he brings the child and he sets the child there in the midst of them. Now, a, a child, in it, and we're talking about a child in innocence, you know, uh, I'm not talking about a child after they get old enough to be a, to be a brat, okay? Uh, so don't, don't get offended by that. Um, uh, there, there were times my kids were brats. There were times probably I was brats. If you'll be honest, there were times your kids were brats. We were having revival services at another church years ago, and a pastor said that about a child being a brat, and a mama got them walked out mad about it, you know, and everything. Well, I don't know, maybe her child's a brat, you know? He had dog barks sometimes. But, but we're talking about a, a, a normal, innocent child. A, a child doesn't come forward saying, oh, you have to receive me because of all I've done, because of my achievements, because of my greatness, because of my name, because of all my abilities, you have to receive me. That, you see, a, a child doesn't have that. A young child doesn't have that, doesn't have the achievements to brag on. It doesn't have the mindset you have to receive me because of what I've done, because they've not done anything yet. And that's the point that Jesus is making to the disciples. You have to become like a little child. You, you can't come bragging about who's the greatest and think you get into heaven because you think you're the greatest. Guys, the same thing is, is true of us. If, if you're still clinging to who you think you are and what you think you have done or what you think you can do to get to heaven, then you've probably never been saved yet. Because you've never come to the point that you've admitted that you're a sinner and you can't do one thing to save yourself. And that's why Christ went to the cross to do it for you. The only thing we can do is empty ourselves of that pride, empty ourselves of self-serving, empty ourselves of thinking we can earn our way to heaven, empty ourselves of who we are and any rights we think we have to be led into heaven because of who we are, and we have to come like a little child. And with that type of faith, it's not that the child was sinless, that's not the point he's making. He's not saying because this child is innocent, you have to be innocent. I'm, I'm sorry, I flunked that already. Did you? Huh? I've already failed that test. <laughs> I'm not innocent, neither are you. He's emphasizing we need to empty ourselves of who we are and trying to think how great we are and what we can do and come with just innocent faith. It's not about 
you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's all about Christ. It's about his name. It's about his glory, his purposes, his kingdom. Instead of us spending our time worrying about who's the greatest, what we ought to do is spend our time honoring Christ because we've already agreed to this. He is the greatest of all time. And even though he's the greatest of all time, we look at what he did and the attitude he had and the attitude we're supposed to have in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That sounds like the disciples flunked that, huh? In the story we're reading. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Consider yourself last and others first. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearances as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. He didn't give that to the disciples, he gave it to Christ. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't miss that in what we just read. Don't miss this in what we just read. That is that even though he was God, he didn't practically try and hold on to it. Even though he was God, he was willing to humble himself to the point of dying on the cross for us. And if he was willing to do that, who are we to act like that we shouldn't have the same attitude as Christ, the same humility of Christ, and consider ourselves servants? Step five is this. On the pathway to greatness, remember and stay humble and keep serving others. And the buzz phrase there is repetitive application. The pathway to greatness, in other words, is not a, a once and done thing. <laughs> I humble myself one time. I serve somebody one time. It, it needs to be an ongoing thing in our lives. But guys, it's, it appears to me that at least at this point in the Scriptures, the disciples still didn't get that. Well, one reason I'm saying that, in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 41, we don't have time to read it. I'm not going to read the verses. You can read it yourself. But even after Jesus teaches his disciples about the pathway to greatness, being put in others first and yourself last, about serving others, after Jesus said that, what we're told in verse 38 through verse 41 is that John, and it's all, I mean, Jesus just told them about being humble. And John comes up and he says, Jesus, by the way, we saw a man over here that was like doing miracles in your name and doing things in your name. And, and we went and told him to stop because he's not of our club. <laughs> Does that sound like they missed the message that Jesus gave them just a little bit? To come right on the heels of Jesus saying what he did? 
and then go up and say to Jesus, as though you're in competition with somebody else, that you're better than that person because you're part of the disciples and this person over here doing something in Jesus' name. It sounds like they missed something still. And then later on, in Mark 10, I read the last part of it, but let me get the first part of it, and we'll be done. Mark 10, verse 35, in James and John, the sons of Zebedee, <laughs> came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us, get this, whatever we ask of you. Who's the greatest here? I mean, Jesus or them, because they're kind of making themselves above Christ. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? I, I think it'd be funny if Jesus just said no. <laughs> and they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand, one at your left hand in your glory. By, by the way, in another instance of this, they sent their mama to ask Jesus to uh, for that for them. Uh, guys, I, I don't know. I'm just of this opinion. If you're still asking your mama to do something for you instead of you doing it, you're probably not the greatest. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism in which I'm baptized? He's talking about the suffering he's going to go through, what he would face. And they said to him, we're able. They didn't even understand what they were saying. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized, because they would go through suffering also for Jesus' sake, but they didn't know that's what he was saying at the time. But it said at my right hand, at my left hand, is not mine to grant, but it's for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. The same scenario. Promptly, who's the greatest? How dare you guys ask to sit at his right and left hand? And Jesus called to them. I, I, amazing, he's you know thinking to himself this time. Oh, not again! Let's just call them together and have another teaching session. Jesus called them to him and said to them, "You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them." I, I probably shouldn't say this. I didn't say it at the first service. I thought of it in the second service. I'm probably going to say it now. You can forgive me later. You think the pathway to greatness is acting like the Republicans or the Democrats or presidents, either one, you've missed it. Because they act like a, a, a bunch of kids on the playground arguing about who's right and who's wrong and who, who's going to go home and take their toys with them. I better get back to it. I'm going to get in trouble. But it shall not be among you, for the passage I read earlier, for whoever will be great among you, you must be your servant. Whoever will be first among you, you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. What we talked about this morning is how to be the greatest. How to be great. Je Jesus answered that question with clarity. If you want to be first, you have to be last. That has to be your attitude and your mentality. If you want to be great, you have to be servant of all. Even people you have disdain for. Even people who you might think, I can't lower myself to try and serve that person. 
Real greatness rejects pridefulness and follows the pathway of Jesus, which is this, be a servant. Even though he was God in the flesh, he made himself a servant. So if you want to be great, make your life about Christ, about his purposes, about his kingdom, and be a servant because that's what he did. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, the very first step on this pathway toward being great is for you to admit you're not great, <laughs> that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and to trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we get so caught up in the world's view of greatness when maybe we have wrong attitudes and we view ourselves better than others and think, I can't serve that person. Father, remind us of the example Jesus set for us. Oh, He died on the cross not as an example. He died to shed His blood as full final payment for our sins, but in doing so, He set an example of servanthood for us also. Father, help us change our minds and our hearts. Correct our attitudes. Enable us to be a servant to all. Help us in a few moments to leave from this place, recognizing that as we leave from this place and we go live our lives this week, there is not one person that we will come in contact with that is less than us, that we are better than. There's not one person that we will come in contact with that we should not be able to serve in some way. And Father, right now, there is someone here that has never trusted Christ as Savior. Help them to be honest. Help them to admit where they are to admit that they can't fix their life, to admit that they can't save themselves and give them the faith they need right now to trust in Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Maybe during this invitation time today, maybe you need to stand right where you are. Maybe God will lead you to come down and kneel and pray as a believer and saying, God, forgive me for having the attitude that I'm first and I'm better than others. Forgive me of having the attitude that other people ought to serve me instead of me serving others. Pray during this invitation, if you know Christ your Savior, say, God, make me your servant. Make me the kind of servant you want me to be in this world that we live in. And especially if you don't know Him, will you take the first step? The first step toward being great? is to trust in the one that is the greatest of all time. Please stand. God speaks to you. We invite you to come. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. 
We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.